Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, it cares Levert. It's cold. Levert. Back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday. Shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. And of course, read us over Indie Cornrows. We have a lot of great stuff coming out. Uh, I am psyched today to be joined by my colleagues and, and good friends, Caitlin Cooper and Tom Lewis, uh, for a free agency. I, I almost said preview. This is a, a capper in some ways. Uh, it's definitely not over, but we are two hours and eight minutes uh, into free agency, or at least the start of it. We know it started before then, but uh, before we even dive into it, first of all, Tom, how are you doing? Enjoying being back from the Pacific Northwest? Uh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And uh time for uh, a busy week here with free agency and then summer league next week and the hoops keep rolling on yeah most definitely caitlin how are you doing i'm doing well i'm just wondering if Woj has the rest of free agency saved in his drafts and we're going to be done <laughs> by midnight tonight yeah drip, exactly drip drip <laughs> well can we can we let's just be honest it was like the the report came out about lowry yesterday and it was like it, it was all but written that he was going to be in Miami. Like we didn't, we just didn't know yeah. the dollar amount. So it's uh, I, my quick aside on this is I just really wish that we could get to a point where we stop pretending like deals aren't happening before they happen. Like, it's just, it's a little fruitless at this point, but you know, they didn't ask me. Uh, it sounds nice in principle. <laughs> um, a lot going down. We'll hit on uh, the Pacers in general first and, and their moves and, and some moves to come potentially, and maybe hit on a few things around the league. Uh, first and foremost, TJ McConnell is back per our own Jay Michael over at the Indy Star. And of course, you know, uh, rebuffed by uh, both Woj and Shams. Uh, TJ McConnell's back on a four year deal, I believe, off the top of my head, $35 million, uh, 35.2, I, I believe that is the number. Um, what were your Instagram reactions to seeing this? I'll ask you first, Caitlin. What did you think? I, I know you wrote up the piece over on IC. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on TJ getting back on this uh, this contract? Right. I mean, I wrote the piece two days ago, so I was pretty mm-hmm. certain it was going to happen. I mean, I think we all were, especially after they moved on mm-hmm. from Aaron Holiday on draft night, that it just seemed pretty certain to me that he was going to be back. Uh, at that number, it seems pretty fair. I mean, I haven't looked at what some of the other reserve level point guards have got. I don't know if Alex Caruso has signed or re-signed with the Lakers yet. I was kind of going to be interested to see what his number was, not that they're identical players, but it seemed like they were getting interest from some of the same teams out there, at least in rumors, to kind of peg what TJ's number was. But I mean, I, I think he just meant so much to what the Pacers were doing last year. I mean, I think you and I talked about it, Mark, that there was a couple games where, you know, it sounds funny to say, but they just flat out wouldn't have won those games unless TJ McConnell was playing. And, you know, I think there's still probably some playoff questions to ask about him based on what happened in the bubble. But at the same time, you know, you hope that Rick Carlisle is going to be able to find some ways around some of that. And uh, he's a good enough cutter and, and go and catch situations to work around it. And you just, he's, I don't think he's going to have quite as prominent a role if everybody is healthy as he was this year when he was being asked to be in closing lineups as much as he was and stuff like that. So I feel pretty good about it. I think he's excellent at making people guard him when he has the ball, he gets around unders better than, you know, 
some of the other guards on the Pacers did last year. So overall, I think it's a pretty good signing. Yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely issue the same sentiment. Like the only thing that uh, I came up with that's like, okay, what is, you know, what is he going to shoot from some three to six? I mean, three, not three to six, three to 12 feet next year. I think he shot uh, 57% from there this year, which was like 95th percentile. Obviously, absolutely amazing, but he's been very good from there this whole year. Obviously, it was a career year, even if there's like a slight statistical regression from the field. I think it was, uh, you know, like as, as good a deal as I think you could imagine. Um, I obviously, you know, years are kind of arbitrary because you never know how things will shake out. But um, I think in looking at it, it's easy to try and poke holes and like, well, well, TJ, this TJ, that, you know, like, is he going to be able to stay in the playoffs? But like you're saying, like, um, it's just so much harder to picture this roster without TJ McConnell than with, um, like it, it's just, I, I think it was a great deal. It makes sense. Uh, Tom, where, where, where were you at on it when you saw the deal come out? Yeah, I was surprised about the four year part of it, I yeah. guess. Um, the money was whatever. Um, I never get too crazy about the money unless it's, you know, blowing away the cap completely. Um, but, uh, I, I know, um, you know, Hollinger had kind of done, his uh, preview of all the all the positions and and I mean he had McConnell possibly make it twelve million which I thought that was that, that was a little salty um, but you know whatever a, a four to five million dollar raise over what he did last year is, is seems reasonable um, I don't think it's guaranteed him last year so I guess that makes the fourth year reasonable as well um, so it you know like Caleb said I mean with Aaron Holiday moving on. You know, you knew they were going to bring him back, and um, I, you know, it seems fair on both on both sides. Um, and you know, I'm thinking Rick Carlisle has his JJ Berea now, so um, we can uh, go forward in that role. And it, it seems like now that you know, filling out the rest of the roster, um, it's going to be a little more flexible. And also, as as kind of mentioned, you know, that rotation will probably be a little more expanded this year during the regular season. Um, and, you know, the goal to get into the playoffs and then how he's used, depending upon the playoff matchup, will be uh, determined then, but he's definitely going to help them get to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that can parlay us right into – well, well, let's talk about Doug McDermott first. Uh, McDermott signed a three-year, $42 million signing with the San Antonio Spurs, which had been kicked around a little bit already. I didn't know the dollar amount, but I was figuring – that's. I mean, that's honestly kind of what I pictured – not super surprising that he's left. It seems like, you know, especially out of reporting that's come out of the Indy star recently, uh, it seemed pretty apparent that Doug was going to not be in an Indiana uniform. Uh, pretty awesome for him to go see, you know, go, go get the bag, get, get, get his money. I th- want to say he came here just on the MLE when, when he came here, it was like three for 21, three for 22, somewhere right around there um, yeah. when he first signed. So it's cool to see him go and get that money. Um, and I think he'll make a lot of sense for the Spurs uh, that, Got, I mean, I think that mostly gets filled or, you know, at least the the vision right now is that that's getting filled by Chris Duarte, obviously drafted with 13th pick. Caitlin and I talked about him quite a bit uh, last podcast. Uh, and also another wing was added to the rotation. Wing forward, however you want to put it, was added to the rotation in Tory Craig, which Caitlin and I were talking about this on pod. We had not seen anything reported about Tory Craig at all 
in anything leading up to the free agency cycle. And just out of nowhere, Torrey Craig signs a two-year, $10 million contract with the Pacers, and it kind of makes sense. Uh, he played a pretty solid off-the-bench part of the uh, the Suns' title run. Um, I mean, finals run, I should say. Uh, and I think he brings some nice things. And most importantly, it's just, it's the, what, the first time since, what, it feels like 2016 or 2017 since there's been a, a guy that you can picture defending uh, multiple positions uh, on, on both wings um, who is going to be in the rotation that's not a starter. So I'm uh, I'm for it. I think it's I think it's interesting. Where are you at with it, Caitlin? Uh, can I? Well, which topic? There was oh, yeah. a lot well, of topics. Uh, we should go to we should go back to Doug first. That my bad. I got a little uh, ahead of myself. Okay, my yeah. So with Doug, like that was obviously just going to be too big of a number to to for the Pacers to be able to cobble together an offer yeah. for. I mean, even if they move Jeremy Lamb, they're not getting to what the Spurs came up with there. But I don't know. Like on the one hand, what you're saying with Chris Duarte is true. Like if Doug isn't there, then hopefully there'll actually be playing time for a person that they drafted, like to actually maybe crack the rotation, at least in some spots and be able mm-hmm. to fill in because they just don't have a lot of people that can do those things. And I do think that's going to matter. Like, especially around Sabonis and playing that two man game. I've said it a lot of times on this pod, but that was the number one assist combo on the Pacers last year. Part of that was in, because of injuries and because Doug got pressed into more minutes, but that wavelength, while you can plug in other shooters, I don't think you can say that that also existed with Justin holiday, even though he is a guy that can shoot off screens. Like Doug catches passes through the lane off of post-ups better than probably anybody on the roster. So some of that, and then just his ability to read and be able to cut back door against top locking and actually being top locked in some of those situations, because he is such a lethal shooter. Um, or at least a shooter that people respect. I, I think that that will matter for the Pacers moving forward, though I am glad that, that at least that does open up time for somebody that they drafted to play. Um, with Torrey Craig, yeah, as you said, I mean, we said that before we got on here. Like, I had not seen very much about him in rumors at all, but I think that most of us agree that they needed somebody who could guard wings. And prior to this season, when he had like that, you know, excellent moments in the playoffs against Paul George in that series against the Clippers, especially in the closeout game, I thought he was pretty good. Um, he kind of has a reputation of like what you said, being able to, he was kind of more of a guy that was better at guarding guards than he was wings. So, I mean, I've seen him get thrown out there against like Jamal Murray when they mm-hmm. went back and played the Nuggets. Like when he was with the Nuggets, he would play against James Harden and had some really good games for them there as well. But um, I'll let Tom go ahead and jump in. I have more to say about Torrey Craig, but I don't want to monopolize and have a seriously long monologue. Uh, yeah, well, real quick, we got the Alex Caruso number. He's four years, $37 million to the Bulls. So there you go. It's right in the same ballpark um, as TJ. Um, as for uh, Tory Craig, yeah, I mean, it's kind of – I've been saying this for a few years. You can't have enough guys of that um, uh, versatility <laughs> on these NBA rosters, it seems. And um, – and a guy like him filling that role is going to be um, good. I, obviously, I think um, that will clear out some of the um, guys that are currently on the roster, Jakar Sampson, Keela Martin. Um, we'll see how it works with O'Shea Brissett, obviously. Um, I just like having multiple guys, especially with the, <laughs> with the injury situation they've had um, over the past you know, a couple of years. Um, we don't know what's going to go on with that. I, I'm 
hoping they can move Jeremy Lamb. I mean, it just seems like it's going to be hard to find a spot for him. Um, I don't know, um, just because of his recent injury health and the way he's been traveling around in his career, um, at some point they may have to just eat that. But um, hopefully they can free up that that um, spot and um, uh, because they're, they're going to be needing some minutes for, for these guys. But again, I, I still think Carlisle is going to be um, – at least during the regular season, wanted to utilize these guys a little bit more and, and spread out those minutes, unlike last year. Yeah, I mean, going off that right away, uh, like you mentioned, Tom, I think one of the first things I look at, the versatility is really interesting. Like, just having more guys with some size is good. Um, I do – I mean, I, I, I like the signing of Torrey Craig, especially at the money. Like, I think it makes sense. Um, I am curious how they view him because – like Kalen was mentioning, mm-hmm. we talked about it before. Like he's really a lot more of a guard defender. Like he's just not, he's got kind of higher hips, um, not the strongest lower body. So he's really good at, you know, chasing around screens and um, going, you know, like if playing against guys like Shamal Murray playing at the point of attack and some smaller guards. So, um, you know, a lot of his issues have been if he's thrown at, you know, playing against LeBron James or Kawhi. And granted, nobody is good at that. For the most part, uh, but that's I, I am just kind of curious how they view him and how he fits in. Uh, ultimately, I'm, I may be overthinking that. Uh, he did have his best three point shooting year last year, so I'm interested to see if he can you know continue moving forward with that. He's improved a little bit every year as a three point shooter. Um, interesting as an offensive rebounder, like he'd probably be the best offensive rebounder on the team behind. Uh, Domas and Isaiah Jackson. So I think that's interesting. Uh, he, he, he finds creative ways to get baskets. I'm looking at maybe doing like a little write-up or something, or I'll have a, another pot out on him in the future after doing kind of a film review, but interesting nonetheless. I would want to go back to, and I, I, I got a little all over the place and got too excited, but looking with Doug, um, you made such a great point, Caitlin, because I think um, it's more like the team seems to be, uh, at least based on, again, more on reporting from the Indy Star, like, knowing that that Doug was probably going to be very difficult to retain. They, they signed Chris Duarte to kind of hopefully fit that same mold eventually. But I do think the team loses out a lot in terms of what they can do uh, with some of the dynamic floor spacing they had. Um, because while Justin can come off and hit movements, movement shots, and ideally Chris is going to be able to do that in his first year too. Um, I mean, the losing – I mean, you put it out pretty eloquently on the on the timeline, Caitlin. Like losing the, the Domas – uh, Doug two-man game is definitely going to be uh, a negative impact. Like, I mean, I'm sure there are ways to mitigate it and they're, they're hoping for, you know, just having more uh, line of versatility and, and defensive flexibility next year. But um, that's certainly something that it'll be interesting to see how they try and fill that void. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that there is a clear answer other than just expecting that, like we said, that, that Chris Duarte is going to be able to come in and make some of those reads and, be able to contribute in his first year because I mean you're not getting that Edmund Sumner is shooting the three better but he's a standstill shooter don't know what the plans are with Jeremy Lamb but he wasn't really a guy that you're going to run like motion week with or something so O'Shea even like he's a good cutter he has great cutting instincts not to spoil spacing but he's a spot-up shooting guy like I, mm-hmm. I just don't really think that that that's necessarily on the roster I think one thing with Torrey Craig as we continue to jump around is it's a little bit interesting to me that he didn't fit with the Bucks and then did in Phoenix. Like, he shot the ball virtually the same from three, but his yeah. percentage on twos really dropped off with the Bucks, and, and Budenholzer didn't really use him all that much. 
And when I was looking at like some of it seems because he was in the dunker spot a little bit more because the Bucks ran more of that, but he didn't convert those looks at two very well. Then in Phoenix, he did do better and they run, you know, a lot more actions all packed into one play, but uh, be interested to see how that fits with Rick Carlisle, because when he was with the Nuggets playing around Jokic's gravity in the post, I, I felt like in that series, especially against the Lakers, that there was times where his rhythm was just off a bit from Jokic's rhythm. Like, I know that's probably not going to make sense and I might have to write about it later, but like where he wouldn't quite have the same sense of where to cut on those plays in that series. And I think that that hurt them a little bit whenever Jokic was getting switches and doubles where he didn't really know where to, to move within that. So I don't know where his role will be. I mean, I think his defense is certainly going to help. I mean, like we said, a lot of times they didn't have guys to guard wings and though I mentioned before that he's good on ball. Like I did think he had a lot of impressive possessions against Paul George in the series against the Clippers. So, and it's a good dollar amount. I mean, I don't, it seems like shooters always get paid more than defenders, but that's the Pacers needed guys who would be able to come in and, and fill that role. So. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a great point. Um, and, you know, going back to talking about how many guys are on the roster, um, they are completely full right now. Uh, and that's without including Jakar Sampson, who's just a cap on a cap holder right now um, or the two way guys. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. We were talking about a little bit beforehand and, and, and Tom mentioned it as well. Um, that seems like it's viable to change. Um, like even now, like, I mean, Tory Craig is a guy who should be getting rotation minutes. Uh, TJ McConnell is not losing his rotation spot for anything. Uh, there still are a lot of guys in this roster who are capable of playing NBA minutes and, and producing. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this. And it feels like even though the roster is full and they're pretty much at the, at the tax threshold, um, there's definitely something to be done with the roster before free agency is over. And we're, we, I mean, we'll be monitoring that for sure. I mean, first and foremost, Keelan Martin, his guarantee date is in five days on the seventh. Um, so I'm curious uh, what the Tory Craig signing means for Keelan. Like, I mean, I definitely have, am of the mindset that you can never have um, too many wings, but the Pacers are also in a spot where they can have too many wings. So, uh, I, I'm not really entirely sure how to view that, but it'll be interesting to see what the team does with it. Um, I mean, I guess just gauging your guys' perspectives, where are you at with, uh, with Jeremy Lamb and, and, and what he could mean, uh, in terms of finding a, a new way to, to maybe build out the roster? I mean, I thought it was interesting in Rick Carlisle's introductory press conference, he mentioned guys down the list of the roster and every time he did it, he mentioned, Doug and McConnell and Jeremy Lamb like he mm -hmm. wasn't mentioning some of the younger guys and I know he has a tendency to lean on experience so I suppose it's possible that he would play I mean I thought Jeremy's defense was pretty damaging last year yeah. maybe not not through entirely his own fault I mean he was playing out of position and I don't think he was completely right I mean obviously suffered subsequent injuries when he came back but his defense also wasn't great under the prior regime especially his closeouts and some of the stuff that he did on switches so to me if he's back on the roster, that's going to be most likely. I, I think Duarte is a more natural two. I think Edmund Sumner's a more natural two, though he can play some three defending. So I think he's going to be blocking playing time for guys, but that's yeah. just my opinion. I mean, he does things differently than what the two of them do. I mean, he can really mosey into the lane pretty easily and, and get shots off. But I mean, Duarte can certainly put the ball on the floor out of the pick and roll as well, but um, yeah, I just see him as a place where that it's going to potentially create 
a, a log jam for playing time and maybe he would also be happier if he got to move on somewhere else as well. I mean, I don't know that, but that's just my overall impression of it that they, while the roster is full, there still might be subsequent moves to be made. I don't know where Tom's at on it. Yeah. And, and that, that's the thing with, with Lamb, I, you know, it, it may be a case where he is hoping to get moved as well. Um, you know, I mean, he's, he's got a pretty good big personality, even though he seems quiet at times, but I think in the locker room, he's got a uh, pretty good personality. Um, and one thing that I was just thinking is kind of was talking there and, and, you know, when Duarte was, was uh, picked and, and you start going through the numbers, one guy that, you know, always is left out in my mind uh, is Justin Holiday, who like, God bless him, just was abused last year playing all over the place, off and out of position, um, and as a guy that is, you know, completely reliable and helpful um, in whatever role he's in, and um, it, it just seems crazy that, you know, he could be squeezed out, you know, when we're, when we're adding up all the minutes here with all these guys. Um, so he's another guy that I think the Pacers would be happy to move Lamb on to if they could get something, um, you know, some kind of picks or something um, in that spot and know that, you know, Justin is there as well um, on that wing. But, uh, um, you know, I want to have wings that are versatile, and I guess the Pacers have them now. <laughs> but uh, it, it's uh, they, they're stacking them up big time right now. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and I'm just uh, – yeah, it, it feels like, like we've been talking about this for a year and a half now. Like there just are a lot of guys on the roster who all need playing time and are deserving of playing time. Um, and it feels like, too, like, I mean, either – even if you just move Lamb, and I, I don't like just saying salary dump because it sounds reductive and unfair, but I mean that is just kind of the term. Like if Lamb was just included in a salary dump, like say that you trade him to a, a rebuilding team like Oklahoma City, um, with you know like a second round pick or two or something on him to, for them to take the money. Um, I really like. I mean, I guess yes, it opens up playing time, but also there's still like 13 guys who I think are capable of playing NBA minutes. Um, I guess that it just depends on your, your definition of what capable of playing NBA minutes is, but like, regardless, it just feels like there's still something to be done there. Maybe, um, you know, they view that in a different way. I, I'm not entirely sure, but it's going to be interesting to see how that fills out. Um, unless you guys have any other thoughts. On, I actually do have oh, one. You do. My bad. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I actually do have one other thing to bring up. Who is the Al Jefferson among like, if this is no, <laughs> yeah. I'm being serious. Like, no, if no, this, this is, is the final, yeah, if this is the final roster, who is the Al Jefferson of this group? Or is there one? I mean, I guess I would say Justin. Uh, but Justin, like, it's weird, too, know. because they talk about wanting to add an Al Jefferson-type player. It's like, well, Justin's been here. So it's it just the, the way that the wording and everything was done makes it sound weird. I, I don't yeah, know. I mean, That's if, a good there, if there is one, like, it would have to be Torrey Craig because if there wasn't one last year, I don't know why there would suddenly be one now. I mean – I saw this morning, I mean, I direct messaged Tom about it, that in addition to some of the reports that circled, circulated yesterday about the Pacers' interest in Lou Williams, John Hollinger had that they were interested in him on a potential vet minimum as a third-string point guard, which if that was the role and that was the dollar amount based on things that some of the young players said with the Clippers and some of the young players said with the Hawks and how much he helped them and how much his even demeanor in the locker room was a difference maker this year, 
that might make some sense. Like my initial reaction mm-hmm. to that was, I don't understand why you would want to do that because that guy runs a ton of pick and roll. He's a table setter. He's a guy who looks for a shot and TJ McConnell clearly needs to have the ball in his hands as much as possible. So Lou wouldn't really be a second unit creator, but if, if they're looking at it through the lens of a third string point guard where he would be basically, you know, kind of what Kevin Pritchard said in that presser, when he described this role, it was somebody who would be on the bench, but be good enough to play, but could sit there and kind of be this veteran mentor. Like, that kind of makes sense. Like if you were going to clear a roster spot and that's something that Lou Williams would be up for and he would understand that going in, I kind of get it. Yeah, no, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And especially too, like, that is a good point. Like uh, moving on from Aaron now, uh, I, mean, I mean, it is just kind of TJ and uh, I mean, I guess you could view Ed, but he's more of a combo and you have Malcolm, but um, it does kind of raise a little bit of questions. Okay. Maybe there is room for a third point guard and it would just be the buy-in. Um Tom, where are you? Like, I mean, what what did you think about yeah. Lou? Because I know Lou. Actually, if I remember correctly, I, I think it was Chris Kirshner from the Athletic had reported that he had, that he had thought about retiring when he got traded to uh, Atlanta. And obviously, stuck it out and, and played with them uh, and played pretty well uh, up until you know toward later on in the playoffs. But yeah, I mean, it would be uh, very interesting. I mean, <laughs> I feel like um, I it just you know Lou Williams' whole career. You know, it seems. Like he's been that that guy, you know. He's just kind of synonymous with the Clippers and getting buckets and and being more in. I know he's an Atlanta guy as well, but um, being in some of those bigger markets and um, him coming to Indy would be um, just an interesting fit. And I I feel like if he, you know, if he's in that spot where he's thinking about, you know, what his next role is, and and maybe he is. Still wanting to stay in the basketball and, and be in the in that um, you know transition maybe into coaching and, and that type of thing. Coming in on that role might be uh, something he's interested in, and I mean he's always going to be able to get buckets, so <laughs> there'll be uh, something something they could use. But um, in in general, as as we're talking about this, I, I feel like you know there was like what seemed like ten minutes in that. <laughs> agency you know we unwrapped all our presents with the two signings and that was it but i just feel like as kayla mentioned where's the al jefferson where's the culture change you know it can't just be rick carlisle and it seems like this can't just be it for the pacers um before the start of the season so um there's got to be something else that's going to alter this um whether it's huge or whether it's a little smaller you know Lou Williams type addition where you're getting a veteran in at a minimum. Um, I just feel like there's something else coming down the road here with, with, uh, uh, with the changes for the Pacers. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Cause I mean, I don't know how you can say that, like, I mean, he said that they challenged people to be vocal leaders. So maybe, you know, somebody really takes that mantle and runs with it, I suppose. But if you're going to say that there wasn't vocal leadership and that, like, you've told your NBA scouting staff, we need to find this person. I don't know, like, unless that's part of Tory Craig's personality, I, I haven't done enough research to know whether that's the case or not. Like, you, like what you're saying, there there wasn't any other change-ups yet. So. And hearing uh, Karis LeVert on that podcast. Yeah. Just, I mean, casually crushing the, you know, internal workings of the, of the team last year was, uh, you know, 
you assumed it was kind of bad, but the way he just like pretty much casually said it was horrible. You know, he should, he said, she said, and and uh, guys want now. I mean, it it something else has got to go. I mean, there, there's there's other issues underlying there that I feel like they got to address. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and one, sorry to tack on. I was actually going to bring this up with Mark whenever, and I totally forgot about it when we were on. Him also casually dropping that he scrimmaged for four minutes and that Nate Bjorkren oh, told him, you're oh. going to play tonight. Like, <laughs> I'm just so confused about how that even happens, especially when he kind of juxtaposed it against like returning from injury yeah. in Brooklyn and how multiple people watched him and he worked out with the G league for four days and then got approval. Like it wasn't just one person's decision. Like why was that one person's decision out on a West coast road trip? And then that there was yeah. no minutes restriction. Like it just seems normally that that isn't even a coach's decision. Like most of the time, like I just remember Nate McMillan all the time being like, you know, that's going to be up to the medical staff or that's going to be up to training or, you know, exactly. I don't even know who's playing tonight because I still haven't gotten the word yet. Like I just, I found that entire commentary to be extremely bizarre, but I don't know. If Mark, yeah. Do you, yeah you, to it? You, you would think like he would, he would have, you know, when it happens, he plays that many minutes the first game. You're like, oh, wow, he must feel great. Or, you know, he's like, leave me in. But he, he was like, I couldn't believe how many minutes I played. Like, they just let me out there. Well, and you they could tell it the next. God, yeah, I mean, you, on? yeah, I mean, you could literally tell it when they played that next game in Denver when it was practically snowed out. And then I remember <laughs> we did a podcast and he was basically like in a spot up role, just standing in the corner. And I remember thinking, like, I wonder how much his conditioning and the altitude impacted him. Like, I, I just, that, that, I mean, the fact that that came straight out of Karis's mouth on the podcast, that that's how that occurred and went down. I'm like, I don't understand how that was only Bjorkren's decision. Yeah. And that seems incredibly uh, risky to me, but. So I had not heard that yet. I, uh, I just keep that up on my phone to listen to right after we get off this. Oh, um, it's crazy. That's. Yeah. Wow. It's a, I clipped it. It's on my Twitter account. It's a video. I clipped it out of the podcast and put a link. And I mean, even, even okay. the, you know, he, he went through how excruciating the rehab was, which yeah. was kind of unknown, I feel like. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's fighting just to get back to normal and wants to play, but it's like all of a sudden he got thrown into it. Like, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was not, not a good look, you know, for Bjorkman for sure, but even just for the organization i felt you know like is, is somebody not <laughs> you know monitoring this thing i mean let's go yeah either that or it's just a bigger reflection of how you know he wasn't utilizing the people that were there to help him i don't know right a lot of question yep. marks there oh that's wild wow okay um well i definitely need to dive into that because that is uh that sounds like requisite listening um yeah well i guess one last thing I would do want to hit on with the team before we hit a couple broader things before we close out. Um, I mean, what do you think would make this a successful free agency period or off season in your opinion? Uh, I know that's a, it's a, it's a broad ask right now. Um, and I feel like we've gotten some of the answers to that, obviously finding a more veteran guy, but um, I mean, I'll, I'll start with you, Tom. I mean, what are you hoping is maybe the wrong way to put it or what, what do you think would um, encapsulate a, a good, uh, performance from the front office this off season. Well, I mean, I think they've hit the baseline of what they need to, to go forward. And, um, you know, I, I already feel like they've had a successful off season just by luring Carlisle here. 
personally, but um, and and I understand if they want to, for whatever reason, not make any more moves right now and, and see if they can run it back with this team, even though we've had that many, discussion a million times. Um, and you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, deal with it by the by the trade deadline. Um, but honestly, I you know, it, if things are have unsettled with with the group as a whole, you know, the core group of guys, um, if there's issues amongst that core group of guys, um, it has to be addressed somehow. Um, and that seems to, would seem to um, require moving a, a player or two or, or getting some veteran voice in who can be the big brother um, to everybody and, and um, kind of that link between the roster and Carlisle and, and whoever else in, in the organization to um, improve that culture. Because, um, you know, what are we talking about here? This is a team that wants to make the playoffs and make a playoff run of some sort. They have to be playing at their peak, you know, um, and if they want to get in the spot where they can things fall their way like a Phoenix and all of a sudden you're making a deep playoff run, you know, they have to be in better shape um, as a unit than they were last year, um, even if they got completely lucky. So um, I, I just feel like there's still some, at minimum, some tweaks to the personnel that they need to make here to, to uh, go forward and, and uh, take a bigger step. Yeah, yeah. just just to bounce off of that, I mean, I, I'm kind of with Tom there that I think at a minimum, like just – moving from Bjorkren and everything that that entailed to Rick Carlisle and also Rick Carlisle, I mean, insistence and basically echoing the things that we argued for on this pod for like the first month of the season last year about the minutes management and knowing which players can play longer spurts and which ones can't. I think that type of stuff will make an immediate impact. But that being said, I mean, I've said many times because this last year was just such an I don't know season and because they've never played a minute together, the starting five, I'm not completely opposed to running it back and seeing what that can be and what Rick Carlisle can do with it, but I'm certainly not committed to it either. Like I'm kind of with Tom. I mean, the one thing that kind of gets lost when everybody talks about, you know, under Nate McMillan, they got to the playoffs and, you know, there might not have been adjustments, but there was a reliable floor and they got there. And now last year they were riskier and didn't like the other factor of that is that other teams in the East just flat out got better. Like, it, mm-hmm. The rest didn't stay static. The Atlanta Hawks were better this year. The Brooklyn Nets were better just by virtue of having Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving healthy. Um, you know, other teams made tweaks. So I don't know where exactly the Pacers will stack up just in that, you know, based on what other movements the Eastern Conference made and will continue to make this week. The Heat have obviously seemed to have improved tonight by adding Kyle Lowry and whatever else they're going to do. Um where the Pacers are going to fit in there if, if they don't do anything else. But as Tom said, we don't know why they didn't do anything else. And that's something I always want to point out as well. Like seemed like there was a few people's names who are featuring prominently in trade rumors, but who knows which side that was coming from. And also who knows what mm-hmm. they are actually being offered in any of that. Like it may not have been things that would have made them better. Sure. Teams called, but you know, like for instance, the things that got mentioned about the New York Knicks yesterday, I don't know what the Knicks would offer an exchange for the player that they wanted that would have necessarily made the Pacers better. So um, you got to keep kicking the can down the road until you can see a move that's actually going to shift the needle. Otherwise, you know, 
it's kind of part of the cost of business. Like where Carlisle wasn't going to come here to, to kickstart development and rebuilding. So you either got to hold steady or you got to be really sure that whatever you're going to do is actually going to move you forward and get you better. Otherwise you're just going to have to hope that the locker room like doesn't implode. Another good thing about the, just where they are right now as well, just in general, I mean, the, the salary structure of the roster does allow them to remain pretty flexible yeah. um, with, with a lot of good contracts. And, you know, so it isn't an emergency. And if things go south, you know, it, there's movable parts. Um, but um, again, you know, all the issues are raised before, but that is a positive, just, just knowing that they, they still maintain that flexibility with, with some, uh, you know, a lot of really good contracts. Yeah. Um, I think where I kind of fall on it too, is I agree. Like, I think they've, they've done a good baseline, but um, I'm interested to see what that means for the rest of the roster. Um, because I do think that there is room to, it's not even about improvements necessarily. I think it's just more about making change because it's pretty clear. There is, you know, some, some room for change, certainly uh, the way things have worked out. Um, I, I, I mean, we know what that kind of entails. We don't have to keep bringing it up. Um I'm just kind of at the point where it's like, all right, well, let's see what happens and, and make a deal just because not, not just because obviously, but um, I don't know. I'm just kind of at the point where it's like, all right, well, let's see something happen because it, there's, there's been smoke around it for long enough. Um, I'm interested to see what, how they view it or what they think, but um, I'm not entirely sure with it. Um, but I mean, obviously like you're mentioning, looking at like just Chicago today, I mean, Chicago added Lonzo ball uh, in a sign and trade. Uh, Alex Caruso on, I believe it was the MLE. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, Chicago is fundamentally a better team. Uh, they're going to have a full year with Nikola Vucevic there. Um, theoretically, that team, should, I mean, to me, it makes a lot more sense. It, it's a little bit more balanced out now. That team is better. Um, Washington, TBD, I have no idea what to think of them. I don't think they've even made any signings today. Um, I mean, obviously the Knicks just re-signed everyone and, and brought back, uh, I mean, brought in Evan Fournier as well. The Knicks were good last year. Um, obviously they had a few things that fell right their way, but they should still be in the thick of things. Miami obviously got quite a bit better adding Kyle Lowry. We'll see what that looks like on court. Um, I don't anticipate Atlanta falling out. Brooklyn's going to be better. Philadelphia, again, TBD, but they're, I mean, granted, they have Joel Embiid. That's just a better team right now, how they're constructed. Um, I'm not entirely sure how to view Toronto. I imagine both Cleveland and Detroit are going to take a step forward uh, with some of their moves that they've made. Um, so it puts, it's just, I, I really don't know how to view this team right now. Um, and given, like we've mentioned, like Rick Carlisle did not come here because I mean, I mean clearly too, like the way that the, the Pacers prioritized the draft, I still think like Chris Duarte was a really good player and certainly a worthy lottery selection, but like, you cannot tell me that that didn't factor in heavily that, that Rick's not here to develop somebody. Like, I mean, obviously he's going to develop the players in the roster, but right. they're trying to win right now. So um, yeah. just seeing moves that are going to be synonymous with that is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And, and like we've hit on, it feels like there's probably some more to come before the off season's over for this team. Yeah, that's, that's where I stand at least. I mean, at the minimum I could see like what we mentioned finding an Al Jefferson who can kind of, that was a priority that they mentioned. It might not have even been something I would have thought of, but given that they themselves said it, yeah. I would think that at least something is still in the workings there. Yeah, most definitely. Um, 
Well, unless you guys have anything else that, that we want to hit on before we get out of here, I think that is a pretty good encapsulation of uh, a very busy uh, and, and, and jam-packed first day of free agency. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to hit on or, or plug before we get out of here? Um, I will have, after a year off of doing it, I have put together a summer league primer <laughs> that uh, I do every year where I look at like one skill or something for each of the players that are currently pacers on the roster that I'm going to be watching for during it. So that's something to be looking out for that I'll probably release either tomorrow or the day after to give some breathing room for free agency for people to have to read. So that's something that'll be up soon. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Tom, do you have anything on your end? Yeah. I mean, we'll have plenty of coverage of uh, summer league. Uh, next week, uh, you know, Nate will be doing the the games. We'll have the game threads and and all that. Well, most of the games are at night on TV, so be able to watch them. And um, and you know, you never know. Goga may just play himself into uh, being worthy of a trade for first round pick. So <laughs> reason to watch. Well, does that make the team better for next year? I don't know about that, but yeah, um, we'll, we'll we'll see. Uh, well, guys, thank you for coming on. To everyone listening. Thank you for listening. Uh, And most importantly, just have a good rest of your day.